the hell are you supposed to be? Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of Comic Book Movie Guide, the podcast series segment, The Scale. This one is a whopper. Batman Forever 1995. I am so excited to do this one. All week, I've just been itching to get into it. Now, the main thing I'm going to be talking about today is, you know, all of the goods versus all of the bads. Now, we've done that on every episode, but This one is so intriguing to me because it is my favorite of the 90s Batmans. It just always has been. Like I said, it's it's been that movie for me. Everybody has their Batman movie, you know? And every generation is going to have their Batman movie. I was born in 1995, so this movie is my movie. (laughs) Like, I just grew up with it, and it always will be. And there's a few reasons for that. And, you know, today I'm going to be doing the good versus the bad, as I always do in this segment. And it's just, it was interesting to me to see the results. So I hope you guys enjoy. And, you know, we're going to start with the comic book movie guy goods, just because there is so many of them. And then I'll end on the bads and I'll give you guys the the summary. But first of all, I just, I didn't want to add this in at the beginning because it was going to end up being a five minute intro, but I'm going to put in this trailer uh, for the movie, so you get a sense of the dialogue, and you know this episode's going to be a little bit different because I am going to put in some sound bites from the film as we go through, just because I really want everybody to get a sense of you know the theme, the style, and right off the bat, you know you're going to get that different vibe from this film. This is going to be a long episode, so for those of you who want to break it up into sections, that's great too. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to leave anything out in this episode. Um, And, you know, as I did the Batman Mask of the Phantasm last week, I had a 10 out of 10 score. 
my first 10 out of 10 out of the first three movies that I've done. So I'm really curious where these other Batman movies are going to fall. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to get right into it. But first, I'm going to give you guys a taste. Gotham last night, another robbery perpetrated by the city's green-suited menace, resulting in millions in diamonds stolen with no sign of Batman. Teamed with Two-Face, this new criminal's pattern of marking his crimes with puzzles, as Gothamites calling him the Riddler. Tear one off and scratch my head. Once was red as black instead. You have a thing for bats? Well, that's a Warshack, Mr. Wayne. An ink blot. People see what they want. Harvey Two-Face is still at large and extremely dangerous. Gonna need to take him in. Get anyone. Welcome, Master Grayson. I'm Alfred. Get a fix on Two-Face? I don't want to kill him. Young men with a mind for revenge need little encouragement. They need guidance. You, above all, should know the consequences of the life you choose. Revenge has become your whole life. And you won't know why. So that's Batman Forever. That's the trailer for Batman Forever. I am so ready to go into this. I just wanted to give you guys a sense of what we're dealing with here. And like I said, I'm going to be doing sound bites throughout. So first off, with the good, we're going in hard. We're going in heavy. And we have a new score uh, for this film. Uh, I find it equally as intriguing. Um, it's powerful, but in a new way. And very fun. It's a fun sort of Batman theme. And we see that a lot in this film. The way uh, the colorful intro credits come swooping into this film. We know we're in for something completely new, uh, different, and definitely updated from, you know, the Tim Burton films. Two-Face's intro. Now, you're going to see here in my review that Two-Face is one of my characters that didn't necessarily work uh, simply because, you know, he's, he's got this turning point in the film, we'll say, and it's a turning point for the worse. So he starts off and the reason I'm using this as sort of like a parallel is because he starts so good. The intro is fantastic. Uh, you know, I love when he tosses the coin and it flips in slow motion past the bat signal in the background. Like, that's such a great shot. 
and it sets up the movie quite nicely for, you know, one of Batman's more known villains in Two-Face. I have here that he has exceptionally dark dialogue, which, you know, he has a pretty cartoony outfit, and the delivery of these dark lines are sort of lighter in tone, but the writing is quite dark, and I love that. You know, he's talking about politicians being greedy and fat and all of this sort of dark, uh, you know, chance talk about the about the coin being flipped. There's only one true uh, right in this world, and it's, you know, leave it up to chance. So that was really good writing, and I wish they would have stuck to that a little bit more. But I'll get into that later. Here we go. Chase Meridian. Dr. Chase Meridian. Now, Nicole Kidman is easily, in my opinion, the most beautiful of Batman's love interests in any live action. She's very much intrigued and fascinated by Batman from her first scene all the way through to the end of the movie. Um, I always loved her name as well, like Dr. Chase Meridian. It really rolls off the tongue and matches her look exceptionally well. The Batsuit is excellent. It's much flashier with a bit of a different rubber style to it. Um, it pops well on the screen. I dislike the nipples, of course. I'll get into that later. But I understand Joel's intentions behind it. Now, when I say Joel, obviously the director of this film is Joel Schumacher. It's not Tim Burton anymore. Tim Burton did produce it. And at the beginning of the film, you know, where the Warner Brothers logo sort of fades into this bat logo, I can't even imagine, by the way, how stoked the people were in theaters when that happened. You know, that's such a cool way to introduce this new bat signal, this new direction that they're going. And yeah, anyways, back to Joel Schumacher. So he directed this film and, you know, I, I have here that I understand his intentions behind the bat suit because he has been quoted on record saying uh, the suit was meant to resemble the ancient Greek statues. So of course, you know, those have the nipples, but, you know, I just... It just didn't age well, and obviously with Batman and Robin being the sequel to this, we'll get into the bat nipples. We don't want to spend too much time on them, because they were a mistake, they weren't great. Moving on. I love the Batsuit. Val Kilmer's Batman. So here we go now with a new face, a fresh face. He's intriguing. Uh, love the Batman voice so much. He has a very deep voice to begin with. Very natural Batman voice. And I love that, you know, it's kind of Kevin Conroy style of a voice. And, you know, there's actually a scene that I'm going to put in here later um, that really demonstrates that Batman voice for you, that bat voice, to, uh, so to speak. Batman and Gordon interact for the first time. It only took three movies, but we have that interaction for the first time. And, you know, it's it's kind of silly and it's throughout, but... I, I do like that interaction between those two, and I think it's essential for a Batman movie. And it has been going forward, for sure. We've seen, you know, that interaction, especially in the Dark Knight trilogy, which, you know, that's going to come up in later episodes. But yeah, uh, Gordon and Batman interact for the first time in three films. So that's nice to see. Batman is very intuitive in this film. He knows exactly who Chase is, knows her work, you know, finishes her sentences. I read your work. Insightful, naive, but insightful. I love that line. That's such a good line for him. And, you know, saying that to his love interest, 
you know, it just makes her a lot more fascinated in him, more than she already was. She comes back with a little bit of banter, you know, like she, she challenges him in a way because she says stuff like, I could write a hell of a paper on a grown man who dresses like a bat or dresses like a flying rodent, she says. And, you know, Batman looks at her and he says, bats aren't rodents, Dr. Meridian. Love this encounter between the two of them. Next note I have here is Gotham City on Acid, a completely different aesthetic from Tim Burton's dark, gritty, dirty Gotham in previous films. More modern and colorful. Um, I love that Joel allowed himself to reimagine a Gotham City that was already done so well. Felt like a massive blockbuster the entire time I watched this film. I love the choice to have all of Two-Face's gangsters look the same. They all wear balaclavas with, you know, a purple and black split right down the middle um, to resemble Harvey's disfigured face. So that works really well for me. I also enjoyed the machine guns. Um, they use sort of these machine guns with red LEDs worked into the ammo casings. And it just really matches the neon sort of black light vibe that is Gotham City in Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever. Lots and lots of practical sets, very minimal CGI. And that's, you know, proven to be so effective in this movie. Batman looks so good in this film. Val is just one of my favorite looking Batmans, period. Uh, I don't know what it is about him. He's just so charming uh, as Bruce Wayne, but also in the suit, he's like, He's like a mannequin, man. He looks so good in that suit. He's perfect. It's perfection. And, you know, he's got the jawline for it. He's got the mouth for it. It's, you know, great casting. You know, if you're going to cast anyone, you know, it was apparent definitely to me in a reboot of a franchise that was so successful with Keaton that they're like, okay, this time we're going to cast a guy who actually looks and resembles Bruce Wayne from the comics. And also, let's just hope he puts in a good performance. And I'm so glad that Val was able to not only look the part so exceptionally well, but put on a performance worth noting. I have here that uh, Batman is so calm in situations of crisis. And we see that with that stupid security card that I'll get into on the bads later, how annoying he was. And you know, Batman's just so calm and collected and just does his business, just works and gets out of the situation. I have the, you need help Harvey line from Batman. You know, that's a Batman moment right there. I speak in the past episodes of that's Batman moment for me. And that's one of them. And I have a couple of more in this episode, uh, for Val Kilmer and in the bat suit and, you know, out of the bat suit as well. Gotham City as a Statue of Liberty. Thought that was really cool. You know, it makes for a good shot when the helicopter crashes into the statue and Batman goes plummeting into the water and Harvey gets away, obviously. You know, he's got the, the parachute and he's doing that evil laugh of his, that oh-so repetitive, evil laugh that Tommy Lee Jones uses in that movie. 
love the shot of Batman ascending out of the water after the helicopter crash. Uh, the new Batman theme is in the background. It's a very cool shot. And I just really enjoy this new score and theme. New direction, essentially. All right, let's get into Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is great. Uh, he's never a scary villain by any means, nor is he meant to be. Jim was merely comedic relief in a lighter version of a movie following up Batman Returns, which is perhaps the darkest of them all. Val Kilmer, I have here, is so charismatic. Holy is he ever a good-looking Bruce Wayne. Now, I'm going to repeat myself a few times, I'm sure, throughout this episode, because not only am I a fan, but when you're looking for the good stuff, those things that you have noticed in the past they really shine through when you're actually looking for the good stuff, you know? So yeah, moving on here. You might hear that a couple of times. This movie is the first to introduce Wayne Enterprises. Now, Wayne Enterprises uh, is something big in the comics that we had never seen in Tim Burton's version, which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, it's mentioned maybe once or twice, and we know that, you know, Bruce meets with Max in Batman Returns, and they're, you know, clashing over business stuff, but I don't think... Wayne Enterprises is actually part of the films. I have here that Gotham Sky is almost always like a pink, purple, or green color. Uh, such a colorful movie, super interesting, uh, completely different blockbuster dynamic in this film. Lighting can change an entire tone of a movie, and, you know, that's very apparent here. I have here that Bruce's tech is light years ahead of the last film. Most of his gadgets, right down to the Batmobile, they glow blue. It's a really good use of color. Like, the Batmobile, man, you know, maybe it doesn't work for everyone, but for me, it is badass, and I love the blue accents that are sort of, you know, portrayed through the hood of the car, wheel wells, all that stuff, and obviously the hood that slides up with the glass, the tinted glass, it's just, it's mint, and the tail for it as well is you know it's a completely different look on the last film without you know taking it too far which they do take it too far in Batman and Robin but that'll be a later episode Bruce can literally travel from Wayne Enterprises to the Batcave through a high-speed tunnel in merely seconds you know he walks into the room and he says lock and the door slams behind him and locks into place sits in his chair sits in sort of his office chair I guess and, you know, he says chair and it like opens this little slit in the floor and he goes shooting down like lightning speed to the Batcave. And he's able to communicate with Alfred on a screen, you know, saying, you know, I saw the signal, sir. Always ready. Like, I love that, you know, and the, the shot of Val in that sort of pod where Alfred's got, you know, half his face on Bruce's face through a projector. Oh, it's so cool. I like, I thought that was cool when I was a kid. I still think it's cool now. And you can't say that about a lot of things. Chase has some incredibly sexy scenes. Now, Nicole Kidman is an absolute dame in this movie. Uh, they definitely chose her, uh, and, and they chose her for a reason. They chose to make her extremely seductive, and they match her scenes with this, like, incredibly romantic score. I love how each character in this film have their own theme. Tim did that in his Batman films, um, but for some reason, the themes stand out much more for me in this film. 
Chase makes a Catwoman reference on the rooftop scene where she's talking to Batman and she's trying to uh, seduce him, you know? She says, I've done my homework, uh, you know, you you love strong women. Uh, or do I need skin-tight vinyl and a whip? And, you know, that's a callback to let the audience know this is a continuation of the previous stories. I'm glad they put that in there. Batman, after dealing with Chase, trying to seduce him on the rooftop, he jumps off the rooftop and sort of glides into his, like glides into this under, underground sort of uh, like parking lot where he's got the Batmobile and it's sort of glowing pink and he disappears into the pink lighting and then lands in the Batmobile and he says, he just takes a second and kind of shakes his head and says, women. It's really funny and it's good delivery. And, you know, a lot of times with scenes like that, they come across as cheesy. And a lot of these lines in this movie can come across as cheesy at times, but the delivery by most of the actors um, is very well done. The Batmobile is so flashy and cool. I love the lights on the wheel wells uh, and under the hood. You know, I talked about this, as I mentioned earlier, blue light accents, and I love that. When Edward knocks out his boss, Jim Carrey has some great lines in this, but when Edward knocks out his boss and he goes, caffeine will kill ya. Fun fact, Jim was allowed to completely ad-lib his lines. So much of his character was unscripted, and the more I watched this movie, I realized what a smart, cool idea it was to let Jim just go off. So cool. If you're a fan of Jim Carrey, you will love this movie. It's so fun. Again, so much purple lighting. Um, the sets were just filled with these purple lights that kind of give the room this aesthetic that we haven't seen in the past. Um, such an interesting tactic to brighten the vibe of a Batman film. Gordon and Bruce Wayne interact. Definitely an effort to make Bruce Wayne and Batman um, interact more with Gordon, as there was none of that in the other films. So I'm glad they did that. They made the effort to put that in there. All right, now here's our first soundbite for you guys. Um, I'm going to try this in this episode and just give me some feedback. If you guys like the little soundbites throughout the episode, I'll keep throwing them in in the future episodes. So this is, my note here is that I love uh, Edward's apartment and it adds to the aesthetic of the new Gotham City. And I especially love the song that they put in with that scene. So here's a little clip for you. I love that. See, that's what I'm talking about when they're setting a new tone. Like that's, that is not Tim Burton dark, right? That's a whole new direction. And, you know, we're seeing Edward in this scene. He walks into his apartment. He's got all these cool little like gadgets that look sort of homemade. He's got like an early prototype for his 
brain waves manipulator that he sort of introduces later in the film. He's got this giant uh, Riddler sort of uh, booth in the back with this like puppet version of the Riddler. And it's got this like finger that points to a red bulb that says no and a green bulb that has a question mark on it. And that's that sound you kind of hear jingling in the background as the thumb or as the finger goes side to side, you hear that sort of chime. (laughs) Man, that's, that's what I'm talking about with tone. Uh, you get a completely different vibe from that. Moving on. Wayne Manor is really, really cool in this film. Very nice sets, beautifully filmed. Uh, he is significantly more rich. It looks like he's significantly more rich. And the reason it looks that way, I think, is because of the brighter tone. Um, you get a real sense for the grounds surrounding Wayne Manor. And, you know, you got the big gates with the giant W on them. It's, it's beautiful and it's really well done. I love Bruce's style in this film. Now, I loved Bruce's style in the older films with Keaton, but, you know, it works so much more with this charismatic Val Kilmer, and he just sort of rocks every look that they put him in for this film. Bruce and Chase date, and I enjoy that love interest. It doesn't threaten him. You know, this is the first love interest um, since Kim Basinger that doesn't really threaten him in any sort of way, but maybe challenges him more than Vicky Vale did in the first one. Because Vicky was kind of just a plot filler for me, but you also have sort of this um, mental challenge with Chase Meridian. And I love that. Okay, this is the scene that I wanted to put in, um, but you hear it in the trailer, actually. The trailer that I put in, Uh, just after the intro credits there. So Chase says, or Chase is having an appointment with Bruce and Bruce says to her, do you have a thing for bats, doctor? And she says, oh, that's a Rorschach, Mr. Wayne, an ink blot. People see what they want. I think the question is, do you have a thing for bats? Fabulous writing here. At the surface, this movie is a flashy blockbuster, but at its core, It's really distinguished. You can listen intently to the lines and enjoy the film on like a completely different level than just, you know, sitting down with the bowl of popcorn and enjoying the blockbuster. The idea to have that option of doing both really intrigues me and makes me love this movie even more. I love the circus scene. Uh, Very colorful, powerful music, easy to watch. You know, and this is our... Introduction to the Graysons, and what a smart and interesting choice uh, to have the Flying Graysons wear the traditional Robin outfit from the 60s uh, in their circus act. So without actually touching the source material for Robin too much, suit-wise, they incorporate it into uh, his origin with the circus, which I liked a lot. I have here... Chris O'Donnell's actually really good when we first meet him. Again, very charismatic and youthful for a 30-year-old. You know, they play him to be maybe in his early, early 20s. And, you know, clearly he's a lot older than that in this film. And, you know, it it's one of the things that I tend to get stuck on, but I decide to look past that and move past it. 
I have here that the team up with Riddler and Two-Face has so much more chemistry than Catwoman and Penguin in the last film. Way more natural. And, you know, the reason it's natural is because, you know, there's a buildup. And we see Edward watching Two-Face on the screen. You know, he's, he's sitting at home in his apartment and, you know, he envies what Two-Face is doing. So I, I love that. Uh, Death of the Graysons is so sad and believable. Uh, gives, gives Robin a true incentive to want to get back at Harvey later in the film. I think Chris O'Donnell does a great job demonstrating sadness about his parents' loss. I love how sad the shot is of the dead Graysons on the circus floor, uh, you know, with Dick looking down on them. It sort of, you know, is an example for me of a scene where the score takes away from it a little bit. Um, you know, they use this extremely sad music and, you know, even a silent scene, uh, it would have been demonstrated a lot better with Dick's emotions, I think, because Chris is doing a great job in the, for the acting in that scene, but yet they put this extremely sad music to it and it sort of takes away from what Chris is doing. So... Maybe a bad there, but also I just wanted to say how much I do appreciate Chris O'Donnell's acting uh, because, you know, there's a lot of scenes where <laughs> he's, he's not great, but, you know, he does his best. Metropolis comment from Bruce. Now, that's a fun little Easter egg. Uh, he, says, where do you, he says, where will you go? The circus must be halfway to Metropolis by now. I love that. Like, Joel sticks true to some source material and throws in Easter eggs where he can. And that's what's fun about this film too. Love Robin's motorcycle helmet with the Robin design on it. It's like this badass looking Robin and he wears it for a helmet. And, you know, his dad always told him he flew like a Robin. I love that scene where he talks to Alfred and he explains that to him. And then Alfred says, broken wings mend in time. One day Robin will fly again. Great line from Alfred. Uh, one of the few lines from Alfred that actually worked for me in this film. Batmobile climbing the side of the building is so sick. I love that scene. Literally driving vertically. You know, he hooks up his Batmobile somehow to the top of the building. And, you know, Batman defying the laws of physics is super cool. Really enjoy the graffiti on the walls in Gotham. Again, new tone, new Gotham City. And they show it in many ways. I enjoyed Two-Face's lair. Tommy Lee, uh, Tommy Lee Jones in this film, he always refers to himself as us, we. You know, they stuck to that real split personality uh, vibe, and I dig that. He's, got, he's literally got a woman for each of his personalities. Like, he's got the lighter side woman on the one side, and he's got the darker side woman on the other side, you know, and... It's just their attire is completely polar opposite. It just, you know, Joel Schumacher is a bit of a visual director. And as we know, um, visual directors can sometimes run into some plot holes and stuff, which this film has, uh, but it makes for a really fun watch. And they do that with Two-Face's Lair. Riddler's final look is fun, colorful, fits in the world, uh, his orange hair is so 
orangey red. It's almost too much. Uh, the toys must have sold really well, but it doesn't fully work on screen for me. I mean, it's an iconic look too, because I always look back on that, you know, cover for Batman forever. And it's that giant portrait and it's got Jim Carrey right smack dab in the middle and he's in his full getup. And that's what I think of when I think of this movie. So, you know, good on them for sticking to, you know, a very vibrant color for Riddler. That's never going to heal if you don't stop picking. Again, Jim's lines are so funny and they actually make you laugh. And when you find out afterwards that he was ad-libbing a lot of it, it makes it a lot better of a film. So many cool shots of the coin, the slow motion shot of the coin, you know, falling uh, with the sound effect is very effective. And you do, you do hear that in that trailer that I put at the beginning of this episode. And if you pay really close attention, you can hear it. Uh, and it appears, I think it appears maybe three times you get that coin, that coin flip where you hear the, the ringing sort of of it flipping. And I think it works really well. Love the Hey Two-Face, show me how to punch a guy. <laughs> He's, you know, well, it's very simple, my boy. You just ball up the fist, reach way back, and exert yourself. And he, like, punches him in the face, punches the guard in the face, Two-Face does. And then, you know, Jim says the same thing, you know, ball up the fist, reach way back, and exert yourself. And he, like, punches him. And he's, ow! You know, he hurts his hand. You know, I know they use that for promotional scenes for the, you know, when they're it's leading up to uh, the theater. Because, you know, Jim is... At, the, at that time, 1995, Jim Carrey was, he was huge. And I can only imagine they used scenes like that to hype up the film. I have here that I really like the scene where Enigma Tech is just flowing the manipulated brain cells from Gotham citizens into Riddler's head. And he's sort of sitting in that chair and he's getting like umpteen am amounts of knowledge into his head and he's almost shaking it's so much for him and i found that to be a really cool scene fun fact that giant hourglass at the nigmatech refinery was an actual set batman forever had some of the largest scale film sets in cinematic history everything was practical and you know huge props to the crew behind the scenes for that Really like how the Batcave is introduced to Dick. It's so much higher tech and, you know, you hear that intruder alert, intruder alert, and everything sort of lights up. Fantastic scene. There's your first fantastic of episode four. Might not be the last, but I am trying to keep those fantastics in my pocket for this episode. Uh, okay, moving on. Nicole Kidman in that burgundy dress with the matching lipstick is as good of a look as you'll ever get for one of Batman's damsels. Just wanted to throw that in there. Val Kilmer's naturally low voice really uh, is on display in the scene with Chase. It works so well for Bruce. And I find the chemistry between Nicole and Val throughout the movie, you know, it's, it's, oh, I almost said it, fantastic. Uh, it could cut, you could cut that sexual tension with a knife. I really like the Gotham City thugs and how they glow for uh, like a fluorescent color. Like it's almost like all of Gotham City was under black lights. And, you know, when, when Dick is, he steals the Batmobile 
And, uh, you know, there's a scene where he kind of runs into some thugs and they're under that sort of black light look and they're glowing fluorescent, but they're like painted faces or skulls. It's really cool. And it makes for a good first fight scene for Dick. Oddly enough, I like Dick Grayson's hand-to-hand combat fighting in this fluorescent scene better than most of Batman's fighting throughout the film. I have here that I really like the scene where Batman shows up to help Dick. He swoops in and literally doesn't have to do anything because the goons are so afraid of him. To quote Batman Begins, Carmine Falcone says, Now that's power you can't buy. The conversation with Dick, you know, he, he runs up to Batman immediately once Batman sort of clears out the 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 alley where all of these thugs were he runs straight up to Batman you know bastard stupid you it's your fault Dick is fearless and goes right at him good quality for the young 30 year old if Bruce Wayne could have given his life for your parents he would have Batman refers to Bruce as if it's a completely other person And I love that delivery from Val. It's so good. Again, the Batcave, really good set. Everything is practical. I think the Batcave for Burton's films, everything was practical there too. But, you know, it shows a lot more in this version of the film. To me, I like the Batcave is a practical set that you could visit if you wanted to is kind of the vibe I get. Spotlights in the ground, uh, aimed up through the grating, so the floors kind of light up too. I really enjoyed that. Like their attention to detail on the sets for this film was incredible. The dialogue between Bruce and Dick is very good about taking lives. You know, chasing another face into the night, another face and another, until one day you wake up and realize there's no turning back. You know, you've chased that face. You've maybe killed someone. And, you know, Batman, when he talks about that, when Bruce is talking to Dick, he's, he's sympathetic with him, but he's also very stern and serious in the sense that, like, hey, this, is, this isn't what you think it is. So I dig that a lot. Again, every single time I see Nicole Kidman's Dr. Chase Meridian, my jaw is on the floor. She's a key element to revamping this franchise in the sense that she brings the element of sexuality. She is incredibly stylish and sexy and does honestly add an element to the Batman franchise we hadn't seen up to this point. Great choice by Joel. And in any interview that you hear with Joel Schumacher, he says he had Nicole Kidman in his head from the very start. I really like how well Nigma Tech is explained. Um, I love how Edward is copying everything Bruce does right down to the glasses, the iconic Bruce Wayne glasses that they use in these 90s films. He's obsessed with Bruce, and he shows it really well in this scene. Batman entrance through the glass ceiling is so good. I also love the flip. You know, he's kind of doing a 180 backflip through the ceiling, and the cape is everywhere, you know, glass is everywhere. He lands in this sort of pond that's uh got some mist coming up from it and then he's got the you know the kiss with chase in the bat suit uh in this scene and it looks like she just grabbed him in the middle of him kicking ass (laughs) she's 
on fire for Batman. She just wants him so badly. My favorite scene in the film is here. Now, I'm going to explain why. Batman gets trapped underground. Two-Face and his thugs trap him in this tunnel. You know, the thug pours gas into the area where Batman is trapped in. Two-Face ignites the gas with this with the rocket launcher from a distance, like he's standing on some scaffolding a ways away. And, you know, the explosion comes barreling down on Batman. You can see it coming, the score is building. He covers himself with his cape, goes to his utility belt, and flips a switch. Batman uses the utility belt multiple times in this film. I think for sure twice. And both times they're, you know, once with one villain and once with the other villain, sort of parallel shot of it. And I love that. So he he flips the switch on his utility belt, presses a button, and the cape turns into a shield. And <laughs> man... Do I ever love that scene? Two-Face dancing and singing, laughing, looks down uh, onto this huge fire that he's created, holding his rocket launcher. He thinks he's finally defeated Batman. You know, he's just loving, loving life. The score completely peaks, and Batman runs out of the flames as if he's, in, like, ascending out of hell. It's so badass. Great shot, great scene. That's Batman right there. Now that's a moment for me. Two-Face in anger and frustration fires two quick shots at Batman's feet, two rounds of the rocket launcher. and It drops him into the pit again, uh, and purple sand rains down on Batman. A couple of seconds go by in utter silence, which, that's so effective. I talked about silence in the circus scene, where it would have been more effective to have you know, just Dick's emotions on, on display. Now, this scene, it's completely silent once the sand pours down onto Batman. You just hear the sand just piling up, piling up, piling up, and you see it. Two seconds, maybe, three seconds of silence, and then, boom, comes this hand into the pit of sand, and it pulls out Batman. And he's, you know, he's covered in this sand, this pink sort of purple sand. And, you know, it's Dick. It's Dick Grayson. Here he is. And he's there to save the day. <laughs> and uh, Batman isn't overly grateful in the next scene, but uh, I thought this was a great scene. And it is a parallel for a scene later in the film. Okay, Nicole Kidman in Nothing But a Sheet sleeps naked waiting for Batman to come to her. I love this scene. Uh, it's so effective because, like I said earlier, it adds this level of sort of sexual charisma to a blockbuster film. And most blockbusters, you know, like it or not, have that sexuality uh, laid into their sort of format uh, for their films. And it is proven effective and it works really well. And when she starts kissing Batman, that's a really epic love scene for a blockbuster, in my opinion. And hey, people like having that sort of thing in big blockbuster films, so give the people what they want. Uh, I also have here that the romantic score works very well again here. Very romantic and, you know, sort of upbeat. It, that also peaks. The score peaks while they're kissing in this scene. All right, shifting to a comedic team-up 
with Riddler and Two-Face that I found so great. You know, go ahead, you can say it, and says Riddler, and Two-Face goes, you're a genius. And he goes, oh, psh, come on. Comedic uh, lines well executed by both actors. I thought they were both fun to watch together on screen. The line where Dick says, my dad used to always tell me sometimes a man has to go his own way. I, he says that to Bruce and, you know, Bruce brings that back at the end of the film and you'll see it used to a very, very effective uh, extent later in the film. I love the classic wood-burning fireplace in the living room at Wayne Manor. You know, that's a great shot where, you know, the fire is in the background and Bruce and Chase are having a conversation. Okay, here we go. This scene is very important to me, and I'll tell you why. Chase knocks over uh, a vase of roses, and Bruce goes into a triggered flashback of his parents' death, essentially. This scene feels almost as if it's not a part of this film. It doesn't match up at all with the tone. Uh, it's a lot darker, and let me tell you this. There is a Schumacher cut of this film. Everyone knows it's out there. Uh, it exists, and it has a darker plot in general. That intrigues me so much. <laughs> Even though the flashback scene feels added, and maybe would have been a comic book movie guy bad if I didn't know that there was a different cut of this film. Now that I know that, I see this sort of scene that doesn't fit as a good, a comic book movie guy good point. Uh, because this was the original plot of the film. Now I'm going to put a soundbite from this scene uh, in the podcast now. And I just want you to take the time to listen to Bruce's dialogue here and Val Kilmer's delivery uh, with the score as well and just see how powerful this is. I raced out into the storm trying to outrun the rage pain and then I fell I fell forever the cave was monstrous it must have been there for centuries and there Deep in the shadows, I saw it was coming toward me. I was scared at first, but only at first. The figure in the dark was my destiny. It would change my life forever. I would use its image to strike terror into the hearts of those who did evil. I would ensure what happened to me would never happen to anyone else again. I would have my revenge. All right, there you go. When Bruce explains his trauma to Chase, uh, man, this is easily my favorite dialogue of the film. I just love when he falls into the cave for the first time as a kid, and the dialogue goes, I fell. I fell forever. That's, that's mind-blowing. It's awesome. They tie it in to, you know, the title of the film, everything. I love, love, love that scene. And I, 
I truly do want to see the Schumacher cut of this film, a darker version of this film, because the lighter version I'm such a fan of too. So I want to see a director's true vision always. But, you know, this is a case where I do like the film that they put out as well. I have here that the giant bat is so dope. I love the idea of a giant bat. You know, in multiple versions of Batman with the origin, it's, you know, thousands of bats attacking him at once. This version, it's just one huge mega bat coming towards him. And it's a face-off that is so scary. And that's when he's talking about uh, striking fear into those and stuff in that soundbite that I put in. That's when the bat's flying towards him in slow motion. Jim Carrey is at his absolute best in the scene where he finds the bat cave. Uh, The script read, Edward finds the bat cave and causes destruction. Jim's ability to improvise humor on screen is just so entertaining, funny, and completely watchable. Every line is so funny, and I have some quotes here. He's throwing these plastic duck bombs throughout the bat cave like he's down there you know twisting the ducks and throwing them into various areas of the cave and they're exploding and destroying all of batman's tech the very first thing that i wanted to put in was he uses his little walking stick to open up the door to kind of hack into bruce's systems and you know when the door opens he goes spank me (laughs) like that's so funny he sees the batmobile and he goes now that's impressive (laughs) walks up to the Batmobile and, you know, he's throwing these duck bombs around and he's like, you know, it's always risky introducing a tamed animal into the wild. And then he goes, they may have trouble adapting to their new environment and throws another one, like super funny. And you know, that's just him. And then the best one of all of them is when he's walking up to the Batmobile with a bag full of these little exploding ducks and they're all wound up, ready to go. He puts it in the driver's seat and he goes, somebody tell the fat lady she's on in five. I love that line. Bruce and Alfred solve the riddle to find out it's Mr. E through counting the alphabet with numbers. And it's such a good scene. You know, they go from Mr. E, mystery. What's another, what's another word for the mystery? Enigma, Mr. Enigma, Edward Enigma. Like he solves the mystery with Alfred and, you know, he says, you're quite bright for, you know, what people think. (laughs) It's just such a good scene between Alfred and Bruce. Batman's sonar suit. Now I have the sonar suit prototype, you know, whatever Alfred calls it as he's about to suit up. He's like, you have this sonar suit uh, prototype, but you haven't tested it yet. He's like, are all the suits destroyed? And Alfred says that. And Batman goes, tonight's a good night. And he, you know, suits up again. They do the suit up again. I love that Joel added um, suit up scenes for Batman. And we see it at the beginning and we see it at the end with this crazy sonar suit. And it adds that other element that I'm talking about. When Robin uh, comes down the stairs into the Batcave, fully dressed in the suit that Alfred has made for him, Bruce brings back the line where he says, a man's got to go his own way. A friend taught me that. And then Dick says, not just a friend. And then Bruce says, a partner. 
and then they shake hands. And all of a sudden, the scene cuts to Robin traveling by sea and Batman traveling in the Batwing. And, you know, they're simultaneously going through the tunnels of the Batcave to, like, go off and fight crime for the first time together. And I thought that scene was really effective. Love the shot of the Batwing flying through the green bat signal. You know, like, Riddler has this riddle in the sky. Like, he puts a question mark uh, and uses the bat signal as, like, the, the dot for the question mark. And Batman goes soaring through it. And Gordon's fired up. He's, yeah, go, go, go get him, right? And, you know, Batman gives him a thumbs up and away they go. I love that scene. Two-Face and Riddler playing Battleship. Very entertaining. I love the scene where Robin kicks the living shit out of Two-Face. That was for my father, my mother, my brother. And this is for me. And he headbutts him. The shot of Robin standing on that rock is visually stunning with like sort of the glowing green behind him and you see the suit in full. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great shot. Well done there. Batman in the riddle chamber, I call it. You know, these, there's all of these question marks lit up with LEDs and there's this giant spike that's coming down on a conveyor belt towards Batman to sort of squish him into the rocks. And I love how he's able to think his way out of that situation. As we've seen in multiple scenes in that movie, uh, he thinks his way out of every situation really well. The third act set at the end of the film at the Nigma Tech site uh, is so good. Such a great shot of Batman, you know, standing there talking to Edward and Edward's in his throne, this giant like skull throne holding this trident. Um, and the perspective of Riddler looking down on Batman and you see all the green question marks lit up in the floor. You know, they must have spent so much money on that set. And I think personally, it really pays off for that scene. Batman ultimately defeats Riddler and I love that he defeats him with a riddle of his own. Wait. I have a riddle for you. For me. Really? <laughs> Tell me. I see without seeing. To me, darkness is as clear as daylight. What am I? You're as blind as a bat! Exactly. Oh, man. Now, that scene is just incredible. Val's delivery here, he sounds like Kevin Conroy Batman. God, I love that. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, Riddler presses the button and drops both Chase and Robin into the their respective sort of wells heading down towards the rocks and Batman has to jump down. And when Batman saves Robin from the fall, here comes the parallel shot that I was talking about when Robin saves Batman out of the sand. You know, Robin gets his hands free and Batman reaches down and they, you know, he grabs that hand in a similar scene to Batman in the sand. I didn't catch that 
in previous watches of this film. So that's why I love the scale. I can sit down and really watch this film. And yeah, it's, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do this one. Batman doesn't kill Two-Face. He just outsmarts him. I love that. And it allows Dick to get the vengeance he's looking for without getting his hands dirty. Like Two-Face, you know, Batman coerces him into flipping the coin one last time. And then Batman tosses multiple coins up in the air and Two-Face is looking for his specific coin and falls off the ledge and ultimately, you know, into his death. I have here that I love how Riddler's head is completely swollen after the brain cells are sucked out. It's a nice touch and attention to detail. When Chase goes to visit Edward at the asylum, we get our first true glimpse of Arkham Asylum in this film, which I thought was really well done. I love that scene because she, you know, Edward keeps screaming that he knows the identity of Batman. And so she goes in, she says, you know, Edward, please, who is Batman? And then he jumps into the light wearing his prison jumpsuit that's kind of cut off to look like wings. And he goes, I'm Batman. And then he's got this maniacal laugh that I truly wish Jim would have used throughout the whole film. Because, and what adds to it there in that moment is also the score, the haunting sort of score in the background as he's laughing. But man, is that ever a huge send-off for the Riddler? I, I loved it. Love the conclusion between Chase and Bruce. He thanks her for giving him a new dream. Uh, she tells him not to work too late. Great payoff for their romantic love story. And I wish that the film would have ended right there. All right, there you go. That is 115 good points. That was a whopper to get through. So I appreciate if you're still here, you know, you got through the goods. Now let's get into the comic book movie guy bads. All right, right away, we have the very first scene of the movie with dialogue. Can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive through. Cheesy first line for Batman. Not a great shot of him either. You know, the lights are coming through the floor, and it just doesn't show his face off at all. Just a... Not a good way to introduce your new Batman, in my opinion. The first two minutes of this movie are moving so fast. Blink-and-you'll-miss-it mentality. Here we go. The security guard being held hostage is so lame. He's stupid. He's very annoying. And the dialogue is equally as annoying in this scene. I don't love Two-Face's design. I feel like the animated series, Blue, would have maybe worked better on screen instead of the purple. It takes away from his character and Tommy Lee Jones' acting, in my opinion. After Batman defeats the thugs, he runs around that corner, so funny, holding his cape, so funny. It's hilarious. You have to pay attention to that tiny detail if you watch this film. I laughed so hard. Tiniest little cord and cable off of Batman's gadget is able to hold the weight of a huge heavy bank vault, and it fits perfectly back in the wall. Like, it fits perfectly back in that hole in the wall um, that the building like that had been created by Two Face originally, way too good to be true. Holy shit! There's a scene of Gotham City that did not age well. The CGI city, 
is so terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> it's like, man, like I, I have to, I have to assume that the CGI was up to date enough to make that scene better. And maybe it was just a little bit of laziness on the behind the scenes end. It's so funny and convenient that Edward's costume ends up exactly like the bobblehead and random mannequin of the Riddler in his apartment. Like, the toy company knew exactly what the outfit was going to be before Edward even did. And, you know, they're releasing these toys in Gotham. Like, what the hell? I hate Edward's boss at Wayne Manor, or at Wayne Enterprises, sorry. I felt as though he was extremely irrelevant and way too intense but he made for a good first victim for Edward. Edward's design for manipulating brainwaves doesn't really work for me. Uh, it's kind of silly and non-threatening. Looks like he's rigged up a blender to a jetpack. Chase's scene where she's sitting on, uh, where she's sitting on, where she's hitting on Batman. We really see the bat nipples for the first time. God, those were a bad choice. Like I said earlier in the goods, we know why they did it, but you know, let's face the facts. It didn't work and it looks really silly. Jim's laugh as the Riddler is funny, but too weird and extra at times. And you'll see what I'm talking about if you watch the film. They merely touch on Two-Face's origin. I feel it's a missed opportunity. It could have grounded the story more to have them talk a little bit more about Moroni and how Harvey's face was damaged. You really have to pay close attention to that scene where they do explain it because it's just Bruce Wayne watching the news and it's very, you know, scripted. Like they just show Maroney sitting in a chair at uh, like, and Harvey's like practicing law, you know, it's, it's really weird. And then the acid sort of hits Harvey's face and that's that Batman's running towards to save him. We don't really know what happens, but I feel it was a missed opportunity to not add in his origin. Fun fact, the guy who says, get a grip, Edward, is, uh, he's a detective in this film, Batman Forever, but in the sequel, Batman and Robin, he's a scientist. So this guy can literally change jobs. Like It's the same actor. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. And that's 90s film for you. You can have the same actor play a completely different character as an extra, and nobody will notice now, but they will later. I'll tell you that. Chase has an appointment with a new client, and she's working out? Punching a heavy bag minutes before her appointment with a new client? Shitty doctor, if you ask me. Bruce says, yikes, time's up. Looks at his watch. It's been two minutes, man. Like, you just got there. I don't understand how... Ah, it's just lazy writing to move on to the next scene. I love when Bruce stands up uh, and starts screaming, Harvey! I'm Batman, right beside Chase, and she still has no idea who he is until later in the film. Like, you're telling me she couldn't hear that? He was sitting right beside her, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm Batman. As if Dick could just grab that giant bomb with his bare hands and lift it. It's so heavy, I bet. And he, like, rolls it off the side of the building like it's nothing. Gordon just shows up randomly uh, to Wayne Manor and says, Bruce, you're going to need to take him in. Why? There's no explanation as to why Bruce has to be the guy to take him in. I thought that was so funny. Bruce, you're going to need to take him in. 
Why? Why? <laughs> I hate that Dick calls Alfred Al. Just call him Alfred. He does in the comics. I don't know why he has to abbreviate it to sound younger. Probably because he's 30 years old and trying to act like a 20-year-old. Two-Face oftentimes comes across as silly and ridiculous. I wish he was more serious, and it just didn't work for me. I hate the scene when Edward is trying to come up with a name. It's so convenient that he lands on the Riddler, and, you know, Captain Kill is one of his options. And he's, like, testing it out on his computer, which, by the way, is pretty high-tech, considering they can't CGI Gotham City. This movie, with its sound effects, is so animated... It feels like a live-action Saturday morning cartoons. I dig that, me personally, but you have to be very careful with your audience um, when you're doing that sort of thing. So I have it here as a bad, but, you know, I like it. <laughs> Dick having a badass scene with the laundry is so weird and funny. Winks at Alfred after flipping the socks onto the clothesline, like, hey, check out what I have, like kung fu skills with a broom. Super weird, super funny. You know, a lot of my bads in this movie do end up being hilarious. It takes Bruce so long to figure out what Alfred is talking about when he's trying to explain that Dick took the Batmobile. Like, he's like looking at that watch, talking to Alfred, and Alfred's like, no, sir, the other car. It's like, he took the Jaguar? No, sir, the other car. But then later he's able to solve literally the most complex riddle on the planet with his butler. <laughs> and they can't even like be on the same page about the fact that he took the Batmobile, the only car that Alfred probably would have contacted Bruce about, you know, like if he took the Jaguar, big deal. I'd tell him about it later. He took the Batmobile and Bruce can't figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, Chris O'Donnell is a good Robin, but man, is he extra at times. Go for a little ride in my lumber chim, baby. Now, you may think to yourself, wow, comic book movie guy, what are you doing? That's a weird line. Yeah, that's in the movie. And he says that. And he says it just like that. I hate the media in Gotham. I hate it for both of these films, both Batman and Robin and uh, Batman Forever. Especially the older blonde reporter. She's super annoying and over the top. I have here about a million ha-ha-has in front of this note, and it says the way Jim starts dancing uh, with Nicole in this scene is so weird and funny. So Edward grabs Nicole, and he starts dancing in this really weird way, and like she almost looks like confused and uncomfortable. Cheesy moves by Two-Face include blowing on the guns and calling things an old-fashioned stick-up. All right, folks, this is going to be an old-fashioned stick-up. Like, what? When Bruce slides down the fire escape, he literally slides down a fire escape with one hand on either side of a metal ladder. His hands must be so raw. Like, that thing's a skyscraper. He's up, like, a hundred stories. And he just slides down the whole way like that and lands right in front of Alfred. It's so ridiculous. Alfred is on absolute standby at all times, fully dressed by the car. Like what? Bruce slides down and Alfred's standing right there, just ready to open the door. I think that's so ridiculous and funny. And like seconds later, Dick comes out to get dressed in his uniform and Alfred's still 
standing by the door. I just think it's funny to like have him standing by the door instead of like maybe in the car and like jumps out to help them get ready or something. I don't know. When Batman enters the room through the glass ceiling, the random guy standing by Chase goes, Batman, yeah. And it's so funny and cheesy. I thought it was ridiculous. Every step that Two-Face makes in the latter half of this film, about the halfway point on, he has to make a noise. It's really annoying and silly if you like discover it early on because literally every step, every move, every gunshot, he's making a sound. It drove me nuts when I found that. Alfred basically saying to a torn Bruce on what he should do, go to her, go get laid. That's essentially what that scene ends up as. Bruce says she wants Batman, not Bruce Wayne. Then Alfred says, let the lady decide. And then right to my mind again, I'm like, he's just saying, go get laid, man. Go have a time of your life. I thought that was funny when I thought about it that way. After Chase tells Batman she met someone else. Batman is smiling ear to ear as he walks away from her, and it makes for a very cheesy and unnecessary scene. Takes away from the badass uh, Batman that we've seen up to that point. Two-Face is horrible in the second half of the film. He's so annoying, and like I said, is basically just noises. Okay, how the fuck does Alfred not know that it is suspicious adults behind those trick-or-treat masks. It's pathetic. It's literally, you can see the, like, he has to have watched the news, right? He has to have watched it. So on the news, you see the Riddler and Two-Face probably multiple times. You can see their costumes. They're holding this tiny little Halloween mask, and Alfred opens the door to them, thinking they're children. I have here, Joygasm is such a bad line but makes for a funny line as well. But it falls in the bad for sure. <laughs> he opens the, you know, as, as Edward sort of, as they infiltrate Wayne Manor, him and Harvey, they capture Bruce and he's super stoked about it and goes, joygasm. I could do without Harvey or Edward's laugh for the entire film, to be honest with you. At times, Jim is good. And better with his laugh. But man, oh man, at times it's over the top and Harvey's over the top from the start and cheesy. The scene with Gordon and a random cop on the rooftop is so stupid. I love when the bat single, I love the way the bat signal is turned into a question mark by the Riddler. Great idea, but the dialogue is so stupid and weak in this scene. It says like the cop's literally standing beside Gordon and says, who the hell is doing that? And then Gordon doesn't say anything else. He just goes, the Riddler, like knows who it is immediately and is so ridiculous. I hate that scene, like for that reason. I love the visual, hate the dialogue. Just my opinion, but Robin's suit is terrible. It honestly looks like it was designed by a room full of people who couldn't decide on what exactly they wanted. Looks like a bunch of ideas thrown together. Why burgundy with dark green? Why the smaller collar? Like, I don't understand this, this tiny little collar he has at the very top. The mask isn't terrible, but it's certainly not great. I have so many questions. I'll get into this more in the next episode, uh, but I love Robin's suit in Batman and Robin much more than I liked it in this one. It was 
you know, I didn't even like it necessarily in this one at all. Holy shit. Batman really built the tunnel for the Batwing super narrow. One tiny false move and that thing is hitting a wall and crashing. Like it's so narrow and thin when you watch it. It's like, holy shit. Like he's very confident in his flying skills. Here comes the cheesiest line of the film. Robin is walking up the rocks in his first sort of outing with Batman at the end of the film. And he goes, holy rusted metal, Batman. Brutal line. They used literally lines from the 60s TV show that was meant to be like a bad comedy, essentially. Holy rusted metal, Batman. What? Batman goes, what? And he goes, the ground, it's, it's holy, you know? Holy. Oh. Batman says, oh. <laughs> Robin, wait. And like, Robin's like ascending. He's way ahead of Batman, by the way. Who is this kid? Who is this 30-year-old kid who just goes ahead of Batman and like takes a trip, like doesn't at all follow Batman's lead, just jumps onto this rock and is like ascending into Neverland and Batman's on the floor like, Robin, wait. Dope visuals, just terrible dialogue in that scene. I really don't like Riddler's final look. Uh, his final suit is just sparkly and weird. The thing I hate most is the hair. Uh, they made it look really weird and crazy from the final scenes. I like his throne, but not his overall look. I have here, Robin is so useless. Understandable, since he's very new to crime fighting. But man, is he a liability out there. Gets captured almost instantly. Now Batman has to save him and the damsel in distress. Third act is not very threatening from the villains. Could have been a bit better. Two-Face just sort of stands there while Riddler's doing his like end-of-the-movie rebuttal. I hate the way the movie ends. It doesn't work for me at all. The cheesy runaway from the bat signal with silhouettes of Batman and Robin is pretty lame, in my opinion. Didn't age well. Wasn't great. Probably at the time, either. Really wish they would have just ended the film with the kiss and closure of Bruce and Chase's love story. You know, that line where he says, thank you for giving me a new dream. You know, it would have been better if they just would have concluded the movie with that shot that we see of Bruce just standing there. You know, they zoom in on Bruce. He's smiling. Would have been perfect. And that's it. That's all the bad points I have uh, for the comic book movie guy bads. So let's get into our conclusion. We're running so late. We're on an hour and 15. But you know what? I don't have any bounds to these episodes. And, you know, if you're still here or if you broke it up into sections and you just finished the bad, you're going to be glad that you stuck around for the conclusion. Let's get into it. Batman Forever 1995. A new face for Bruce Wayne Batman. New villains. New Gotham City. And a reboot of a character we love so dearly. Does this new aesthetic of Gotham City, new director at the helm, and new look for the Cape Crusader deliver a reboot that Batman lovers will enjoy? Is this Saturday morning cartoon-style blockbuster your cup of tea? Does the comic book movie guy good outweigh the comic book movie guy bad? Let's find out. Comic book movie guy good points, 115. Comic book movie guy bad points, 52. 
Now, this is the highest amount of good points that I've ever had uh, in this segment series, The Scale. It's also the highest amount of bad points that I've had in this segment series. So this tells you something. A movie can have umpteen amount of good points that you can find, but it can also have that giant amount of bad points as well. But that's why I call this segment the scale. And that's why I say to myself at the end of every episode that I do on this series, does the good outweigh the bad? Now that's an interesting concept. It's very easy to tell in Mask of the Phantasm when I only have, you know, eight bad points and 36 good points, it's very easy to tell that the scale is tipped. But on this one, when you have so many bad points, but also so many good points to the point where the good outweighs the bad, it shines through that this is a better movie than the bad points show you. And I love that aspect and I'm having so much fun doing this. So I'm going to get into the final summary here. And I want you to really pay attention to what I say in this final summary. And when I get to the comic book movie guy final score, you know, this movie, like I said, is my favorite Batman movie from the 90s. But check out what the final score is, and you might get the idea for why I'm doing this segment called The Scale. Final summary, Batman Forever 1995. What does the term blockbuster mean? A blockbuster is a work of entertainment typically used to describe a feature film that is highly popular and financially successful. Batman Forever is a massive blockbuster. It's extremely fast-paced and has a bit of a blink-and-you'll-miss-it mentality. This film challenged me immensely while I was doing my notes. It's extremely easy to watch, hard to keep up while writing notes, so I actually had to pause the film at times to complete a thought um, and one thing is clear. Director Joel Schumacher came in with a very clear objective. Lighten the tone, brighten the vibe for a Batman movie. Now there's behind-the-scenes footage of Joel walking onto set every day, and he would yell, and remember everyone, this is a cartoon. Let's have some fun. Not only did Joel accomplish this, but he knocks it out of the park, with very few blemishes recorded along the way. The only true knock I have on this film is that at times it is extremely cheesy. But guess what? This film doesn't take itself seriously enough in those moments. And for that reason, it still works for me. The cast, for the most part, is up for the challenge of a reboot and acted very well, especially one of my all-time favorite Batmans, Val Kilmer. He was intriguing, well-casted, handsome, and looked so damn good in that Batsuit. In all honesty, if you take out the odd knee slapper or some unnecessary evil laughs from the villains and replaced it with a touch more serious content, this movie would have a 10 out of 10 comic book movie guy rating. This film is so much fun. It was my first Batman movie. It's a complete nostalgic trip every single time I watch it. And when I tell you that I truly fell for this movie the first time I watched it, I fell forever. Comic book movie guy final score 8 out of 10. All right, guys, that about does it for this episode of Comic Book Movie Guys series segment, The Scale, Batman Forever. Now, tune in for next week when we tackle Batman and Robin 1997. Now, that is 
a hell of a movie to tackle. I know it's going to be full of crazy bads and it's going to be a huge challenge uh, for me over here doing the scale. And it's going to show you that the scale can sometimes tip over. So I'm looking forward to diving into that one. Please tune in. Uh, you know, this has been a lot of fun. I'm so happy that, you know, the people that are tuning in are giving me some feedback. I'm so excited when I do this. And, you know, if you stuck around to the end of this one, thank you so much. I know it's a long one, but I really wanted to get everything in for Batman Forever as it is my favorite movie from the 90s. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. This has been a hell of a time. We'll see you next week on Comic Book Movie Guy Segment Series The Scale. From your secret friend. Underneath the bridge. Who? Top has sprung a leak. And the animals have trapped. Having a clue. Let's play a game, just me and you. Any of this mean anything to you?